Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Uh, com. Before... <laughs> Sorry, Today. Uh, before we get started, this is a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about messed up things. It's a horror podcast, so we will be talking about horror culture, which could involve sensitive subjects such as child abuse, rape, uh, F-bombs, a little bit of murder, maybe. You know, I mean, was, we, we talk about all kinds of things. So that is the liability co- compensation. Shit uh, happens. Tri- tri- you said a curses word. You were almost <laughs> anyway. done with it. Good enough. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've dropped out bombs halfway through the uh, the trigger warning myself. So, yeah, yeah. That, that tracks. <laughs> Anywho, coming up in the future, we're going to be uh, speaking with writer, producer, and director Jose Prendez. But today... We have the company of Robert P. Drumroll, please. O-Tone. We got it. We <laughs> did it. Yay. Yay, Yay. Yay everybody. We did, did the drumroll so you can give yourself a half second to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually planned that out. I was going to make a whole thing about it. And then, like we were talking about in the preamble, we thought it was O-Tone. And thank you for at the last second bringing up. No, it's O-Tone. And I just screwed all that up. No, we, we know what we're doing here. We're professionals. <laughs> Welcome Thank you for home. having me and getting my last name right. And uh, <laughs> after you know, many we, attempts, we, we were it only took like five podcasts and three emails. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love the show, as I've told you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, supercharged to have an extra therapy session this week. This yeah, is great. Yeah, for well, free even. Yeah. Before uh, before we get started, do you want to let us know what you're currently working on? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I have a novel out. <clears throat> My new novel is The Vile Thing We Created. And uh, I'm really excited about it. Really proud of it. Reception so far has been nice. I'm also nominated for the Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a Young Adult Novel for my book, The Triangle. Nice. Both of these books are available now. You can pick them up. You can read them. You can throw them at somebody. You can get them wherever fine books and super shady books are sold. But yeah, I hope you read them and I hope you like them and I hope you leave a review and I hope you message me about it because uh, there might be some some stuff in there that you love and there might be some stuff in there that you don't love. Send me all of the thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, you, uh, you've you mentioned offline that uh, you listened to a few of these so you know kind of what you're getting into. Uh, so mm-hmm. we can just jump right into it. What are some of your memories, earliest memories of scary things? I think the first time or the first time that ever is like burned into my memory of being scared of anything is um, I was at a restaurant with my parents, but um, we went to this restaurant. I was maybe four and there was a guy in a gorilla suit running around the parking lot and it scared the shit out of me. And, And, you know, again, like I'm four or five, if I'm seeing this as an adult, I would probably think it was hysterical. And my parents certainly did. (laughs) Uh, and my older siblings certainly did, but it's just burned into my memory of being so scared of this. And every once in a while, my dad and I would talk about it before my dad passed away and he would be like, Hey, do you remember? And I'd be like, yeah, it's burned into my memory forever. So I think (laughs) think it was a real gorilla. I I think I did. I think I did probably. I mean, I was, I was a little guy, so Mm -hmm. yeah, I probably did think it was a real gorilla or I think the idea of people in costumes at the time. It didn't fully compute, even though I had been doing Halloween my whole life. Mm. It didn't track that somebody would be in costume, not at Halloween time. Mm -hmm. And it was very strange. But um, 
Yeah, that's probably the earliest memory of like fear that I had. But um, <clears throat> I was always exposed to scary stuff, which is weird that I had this fear reaction to this guy in a monkey suit. But I, I do remember, you know, watching my dad's favorite movie was Jaws. So we watched Jaws a lot, especially in the summertime. Um, I refused to watch it before Memorial Day weekend, for example. Mm-hmm. It's my own ritual. <laughs> especially during the summertime. Like, yeah, you know, we're going to go to the beach. Uh, you want to watch Jaws? Yeah. Well, it's it's hard, too, because I'm on Long Island mm. and we're oh God. we're beaches for days, Perfect. you know, and it's yeah, I don't go in the water at the beach, not because of sharks, but because I, I just I don't like the beach to begin with. I think it's a mm. waste of time. I grew up with a pool. I was one of those kids. Sand is I, irritating. It gets everywhere. What's that? Yeah. It's, oh, don't quote. Don't fucking quote Star Wars. <laughs> don't you ever do that. I'm, I'm not I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but it was just too fitting. Oh, God. <laughs> I actually don't mind prequels anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. So like I grew up with Jaws. I grew up with Godzilla 89, which I loved. I loved Godzilla 89. I haven't seen it in like 20 years, but I remember loving it. Go back and watch it. And it's going to suck. Go ahead. Yeah, I know that would be terrible. Um, but also like my favorite movie of all time is Forbidden Planet. Have either of you seen Forbidden Planet? Uh, Not the whole thing. I think I've it. seen bits of it. Okay. Y- yeah. So, that's really I, high. And that's another one where I was just so terrified of the creature and that the id. And now when I think about it, it's like a masterclass intention because you don't see it. And even when you do like actually get a good look at it, you still don't see the whole thing. And um, I just remember being terrified as a little kid and like the buildup of waiting to see what this thing looked like, seeing its footsteps. And just in my brain, like, how the hell are they doing this? How like these filmmakers making footsteps in the ground? Like, how does this work? But again, like I was a little kid, so, but that was like a a big formative thing for me too. And I always read horror stuff also. Like I read, uh, you know, I was, I was a Goosebumps kid. I've heard a million people be like, I went to the Scholastic Book Fair and bought a million books. And it's like, all right, yeah, cool. You know, there are bookstores though too. So, you know, I I read a lot of that and uh, just enjoyed the hell out of it. I was actually more of a Benicula guy than I was a Goosebumps guy. (laughs) So, and also uh, a book called Ghosts Don't Eat Potato Chips was a personal favorite. And uh, there's another book that's formative in my mind and even the cover. And I've, I've tried on Goodreads, read it to try to find it again. And I can't find it. I don't remember the title, but it's about these three kids dealing with a zombie in their town. And it's very intense and really, really great. And I even remember how they stop and they get them in cement, wet cement, and uh, they put them down for the count. Uh, but it was just really good. It was a really good, intense, like middle grade zombie horror book that I read when I was like seven. And I loved it. But yeah, so those are some of my earlier memories of horror and stuff. So uh, the general emotion that I'm hearing is uh, just a lot of excitement in a lot of these. Other than maybe Jaws, I didn't hear fear in any of these. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things, that, well, other than the gorilla suit guy, some of our guests have kind of reported like a, a dividing line between which before horror was scary to them and after which horror was more enjoyable or, you know, funny or pleasant. Mm-hmm. Was there that kind of dividing line for you or was it always like amusing? Um, It was always... Exciting? Uh, yeah, I, I would say exciting. I never, I'm not like one of those people who like sees a horror movie and laughs at it. Mm. I can't stand those people, by the way. Like, I, I find nothing more repugnant than like, oh, The Exorcist is so funny. It's like, cool, you're very edgy. What an original take. 
But um, like, I, I don't find it like that. I find it exciting. I find it thrilling. And I think even as like a kid exploring those kinds of worlds, as scary as they often were, it was just more exciting to me than anything. So like, you know, watching Alien and Aliens, like my mom was like, she brought in the sci-fi horror in a big way. Like she's a big sci-fi person. So like watching Aliens, for example, even though it is not a horror movie, there are horror elements to it. Still very scary. Whereas like the first Alien is just pure horror all throughout. And really, and yeah, that scared the shit out of me. But at the same time, like in the end, I was like, oh man, what an experience. Like what a thrill ride. Like, and again, like as a little kid, I had this like weird admiration for horror and like this weird like affinity for it. Well, you know, and my friends, some of them did, but like, you know, they were a little more traditional in the entertainment that they consumed. You know, like I love the Ninja Turtles just as much as the next guy growing up, but like, man, give me Predator. You know what I mean? Like, give me Predator or like, give me, you know, Forbidden Planet or give me like, you know, Texas Chainsaw or something like that. Like, I'd rather watch that, you know. But yeah, so like, I was always scared of watching these movies. I can remember being scared of, and we mentioned it before we started rolling, but like, I remember being scared of the Wicked Witch in um, Wizard of Oz. You know, I, I just remember the excitement of it more than I remember the fear i never had like horror movie nightmares as a kid i didn't have a horror movie nightmare until i saw the re-release of the exorcist in theaters with my mom you know i guess that would have been 2000 or 2001 it was when they re-released the version you never saw or whatever Hmm. i remember having nightmares about the exorcist for a long time after every time i watch the exorcist i actually have a dream about it every time Hmm. kind of burrowed itself deep in your psyche there yeah, and I'm not Catholic. I'm Italian, but I'm not Catholic, and um, I'm not particularly it's possible. It's yeah, I know. I know. It's strange. You know, it, right? just, it gets under your skin. What's that? I was just saying, you don't have to be. It's just the tone of the movie. It gets under your skin. The yeah, lighting, no, for sure. The sound, everything about it uh, creeps me out. And I think you know, uh, John Landis had a really good quote about it on that, like 101 movies or whatever from uh, Bravo years and years and years ago. The movie makes you really believe that. Catholic priests, when they're not doing terrible things to young children, will actually come in and save the day. He's like, you firmly believe that watching that movie. And it's like, you know, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you do. And uh, I just I find it fascinating and thrilling. I find all kind of exorcism stories thrilling. Like there's the possession, which has Mm -hmm. the uh, the Jewish look at possession that I find extremely exciting. And I love that uh, almost as much as the exorcist in a lot of ways, but like, yeah, something about possession stories really charges me up. So you mentioned your mom liked sci-fi. Your dad loved jaws. I mean, was there anybody else in the, in your family that loved horror or, or, or no, everybody loved, everybody loved science fiction and horror in my household. My sister, probably less science fiction, but she definitely liked, uh, she definitely liked horror. She took me to see scream when it first came out. I was 12. Mm-hmm. So I got to see Scream on the big screen as as well as the second one. I saw that. Oh, I saw both of them opening night, which was an absolute scene in the theater. Like I remember Scream 2 specifically, 1998. I was 14. I, there were so many people running around in costume mm-hmm. before the well, movie. Yeah, that's what they did in the movie, right? Isn't yeah, that the but, but they... yeah, and that's that's the crazy part is it happens in the movie. And I remember <laughs> so you look around like, okay, none of these knives are real, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I was just like, holy shit. Cause I thought about wearing my 
you know, ghost face costume. But then my sister was like, don't do that. That's cheesy. It's like wearing a, it's like wearing, <laughs> be that guy. It's like wearing a band shirt to the concert, you know, yeah, there it is. Sure. don't be that guy gutter. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I have these memories burned into my head of those things. So like my sister would take me to like the slasher. So did stuff. you get there and then turn to your sister and be like, no, cause I thought it was cheesy. <laughs> I thought it was corny, you know? And, and like, I knew people who were there in those costumes. Like I knew some of them from school. And I remember thinking that they looked like dorks. <laughs> but like I think now if I saw that I would well now it would never happen. Like a movie theater would yeah. never in a million years let you in in costume. It just well, wouldn't happen. Yeah. Unless it's a private yeah. screening type thing. But um my dad was also a big Halloween guy, like the holiday as well as the film series. And mm-hmm. so he would share those with me. Do you remember them specifically teaching you anything in terms of how to interpret these things or respond to them? Or do you think you just picked it up, uh, you know, like subliminally? I think I picked it up subliminally. I think my parents had a little more, you know, trust in the fact that like I knew it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And I, and you know, they, they knew that they didn't need to like hold my hand through anything. And they kind of let me piece together the lessons themselves. I think I understood a lot about like, you know, watching The Thing, for example, like, which is a movie that when I watched the remake of The Thing, because I grew up watching the original, which I think is mm-hmm. just obviously just as good as the John Carpenter one. But like yeah. watching the John Carpenter one, I, you know, I was a little old. I was probably like eight or nine at the time. And I remember watching that and thinking like, oh, this movie's about trust. And this movie is about communication. Like I and about talking to each other <laughs> like Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, okay. and like you picked like, up on that early, huh? I guess because I just, it seems obvious to me, but I don't know. But like, I remember talking about that with my parents. I'm like, well, why didn't they just talk to each other more? Yeah. Like, why didn't they all just Have stay you seen a sitcom? Yeah, no, you're right. But like, I just think like, I don't know. I think I remember having that specific conversation and then my dad being like, well, if they did, then we wouldn't have, wouldn't a, have movie. a movie. Yeah. Right. You know? <laughs> so I was like, Oh, okay. So did you participate in Halloween as a kid? <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I participated in Halloween up until about, it was either fourth or fifth grade. And then it's pretty early. And, yeah, yeah. Well, so there's a reason to stop. Go ahead. Well, we started putting, we started building haunted houses on our front lawn. Mm. Nice on Halloween, and we would raise money for charity and stuff. So, like, oh, nice. You know, we did when nine eleven happened. We did the nine eleven fund, but before that, it was either like the American Cancer Society, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, because my dad was diabetic. We did the heart, the American Heart Association, stuff like that. So, we would construct these haunted houses on the front lawn, and I think the the most amount of rooms that we had, not counting the walk up to the front door. It was like 13 or 14 rooms we were able to construct on the front lawn. And um, I always got to be in that. Uh, One year I got to do the chainsaw, which was cool, which was a real chainsaw, not one of those namby-pamby electric boys or fake ones. Mm -hmm. Did you take the saw, uh, the blade off? Yeah, of course. Okay. But there's always, (laughs) there's always like, when I go to a haunted house and I see it's like an electric one, I'm just like, meh, because (laughs) like such a big part of that is the smell of the gas. Yeah, like they, it it's a full 360 experience. It's the sound, it's the visual, it's the smell. And I think a lot of haunted houses kind of lose that when they have like the fake ones or the like the plastic ones. You can get at spirit that are like neon green or whatever. Like, like what are we? Uh, what are we doing, guy? Are we, are we carving a turkey? <laughs> the proper answer to that would be, yeah, turkey, come here. <laughs> Continue. 
And then I got to be Michael Myers in our haunted house a bunch of times. The chainsaw guy. One year I created a character named Booster Boots, who is like a skeleton, glow in the dark skeleton, rock star, mohawk type guy. And he had a chainsaw. It was very ridiculous. Skeleton, mohawk, and chainsaw. That sounds fun. Reminds me of a character you'd see in a 90s video game. Yeah, right? it, basically. Yeah, I was playing a lot of Zombies Ate My Neighbors at the time, I think, and just kind eh. of rubbed off on me. But yeah, you know, it, Halloween was always fun. It, even so, my dad passed away in 2019. The final Halloween that he got to celebrate would have been Halloween 2018. And we saw the movie, which I, I did not like when we first saw it. But subsequent viewings, I've, it's grown on me quite a bit. It does. He enjoyed it, which is really all that matters to me. And that final Halloween, he built a zombie shooting gallery, a laser gun. Oh, cool. Yeah, on the front lawn. And it looked really cool. And it, it was a lot of fun. And he had a good time running it and everything. and. So, like, it matters to me that it mattered to him, and uh, I would like to do something like that in the future. I don't do it now. We we don't live in a house that's very trick-or-treater friendly, so our next house, I will be going buck wild and trying to do what my dad did before me. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Did you have any scary dreams when you were a kid? Like I said, when I saw The Exorcist, I had a lot of dreams. Also, when I watched the movie JFK... I had a lot of nightmares after that. Also, I saw that when I was very young hmm. and I, it's a rather graphic movie to see when you're young. Yeah, I was probably 10. What were the JFK dreams about that? He was in my room. Oh, that he was in my Wait, room oh. at night it, before or after the gunshot after. Yeah. Ah, hmm. and it was, and it wasn't like anything was scary. He was just there. Like nothing happened. He was just there. And it's not like he was like, Oh, you have to solve it. There was nothing like that. <laughs> I was gonna say it's because it's because your name. He thought you were his brother, and he's like Bobby. Bobby, Bobby you gotta solve my murder, Bobby. Um, <laughs> but no, like he it, it, he was just there. It, it just freaked me the fuck out as a kid. And then, um, you know, like I said, when I saw The Exorcist a bunch of years later, I I had just dreams of things like oppressive things in my space and in my life and in my room and stuff like that weird things just that felt very very much so like putting a lot of pressure on me hmm. did you have anything in real life scare you as a kid the gorilla suit guy was one for sure oh that's true yeah yeah as i yep. got older 911 really scared me. I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. I didn't show my friends that I was scared. I didn't show my family that I was scared. But again, I don't know how old you guys are, but like, you know, being a senior when 9-11 happened, I remember my economics teacher making a fucking joke about it right Whoa. after it happened. Um, Hard stop. No. Yeah. 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 Uh, he was a leather skinned asshole, Mr. Lavero, And I just I remember being like, well, that's not cool to make a joke about people dying in a plane crash, because at the time we didn't know that it was a terrorist attack. And I remember like my mom, my mom worked for the government and she came to get me out of school early and I was not in the weight room where I should have been. And she was furious that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And she took me out. And I remember just having I'm being so scared and thinking like we're all going to get drafted. That's a very real fear around that time. Yeah. Yeah. I had some kids that I knew who enlisted after, and I, I remember just thinking like, well, you know, I'm a fat kid, 
they're not going to take me because I'm fat. So that's good. But then I, I remember thinking like, oh my God, yes, they are. <laughs> like, right. And then I'm going to get full metal jacket. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I'm going to get shredded and I'm going to look really good. And then I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's a brief silver lining before the yeah, not right. good part. Yeah. yeah. Before I step on a landmine, because that's likely what would happen to me because I'm a fucking klutz. But like, this, this is going to suck. It's, then it's going to be great. And then it's going to suck again. Yeah. And I just, I, I remember just having that fear, like even, and that fear persisted into college even. Cause I had a professor who was uh special forces in Nam. This guy was like a badass. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry, and he was like, have you ever what? seen what's what's the movie? Is it Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield? Yeah, yeah, he was like Kenneth. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you know <laughs> that's a good comparison. I never thought of him like that until now. <laughs> this teacher really cares a lot about what I have no idea. <laughs> this this guy was great. Like, so he was like my media studies professor in college, and he talked a lot about Nam and he kind of like put this additional fear into me. Like this campus is going to empty out by this time next year. He's like, because the draft is going to come back. Mm. And he was like, so, you know, if you're worried about that and if the draft does Sorry, come back, I'm still just laughing, thinking to myself about Kinnison, and say it, say it. <laughs> <laughs> he, so like my professor's take was like, you don't want to be drafted. Yeah. Um, he was like, you're going to want to do what I did. So if the draft does come back, like, Stay in You're school, good. get a degree, go in as an officer. Yeah, exactly. He was like, do the smart thing, enlist, make sure you enlist if the draft comes back. And I was like, shit. So that was like the big fear at the time was that I would have to go to war. And that makes me sound like a coward, I guess, like that I didn't want to go to war because like I remember talking to some, I, I'm a big cigar guy and I used to go to cigar lounges a lot more. And I remember hanging out with those old dudes talking to them about war and like some of them were in world war two some of them were in nam and i remember asking one guy in particular who was also he wasn't special forces in vietnam but he was like operations he was like special operations i don't know really what the difference is to be honest with you but he i remember asking him like well why did you enlist like why did you go if you didn't have to and he his answer was like one of the most badass things i ever heard and he was like there was a war going on how could i miss it <laughs> And I was like, not even oh. like a patriotic thing. Like it was my duty. It was like, no, there was, there was a war the going on. Irish saying, the old Irish saying, is this a private fight or can anybody join? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I just remember being like really taken by that guy's answer and just like feeling bad about myself because that wasn't my feeling, you know? And I still don't, I'm, I'm not a war person. I don't, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> um, but like, you know, warfare is so different now than it was even 22 years ago. So sure. it's like, you know, I don't, I don't think it's at all comparable, but like, it just, I remember being so scared, so scared that I was going to die in a desert somewhere. And, uh, I just wouldn't have been able to fulfill any of the things that I believed were important to me at the time. And that really filled me with a lot of terror. Understandably. So flipping the question around back in childhood was there ever time in your childhood where you felt completely calm or safe or or in bliss all the time all the Hmm. time i i I hear you ask that question and like everybody's always like no i never felt calm or bliss or whatever and it's like oh i'm sorry that that was your experience but Hmm. i've i always i had a wonderful childhood i my parents were awesome my dad especially was like the ultimate dad he's you know literally everything to me. He was my best friend. 
and there's like a huge hole in my life now that he's gone. I actually cried about him last night, to be honest with you. Um, and I was really emotional about it. But um, yeah, no, I had an amazing childhood. Obviously, it's good that you could say that that's, that was your norm. Yeah. Was there ever a time that really stood out to you, though? Where I felt unsafe. Um, no, I mean, about being calm or safe or bliss, like, like exceptionally. There was always kind of around the holidays, you know, I'm not a Christmas guy, but around the holidays, there was always kind of that, like, having extended family come over mm-hmm. and it was just more of the same. Like there was, you know, like I, I obviously knew my parents, but having like my grandmother come and stay and like my other grandmother and my aunts and uncles and stuff like we, you know, my mom still lives in the house that I grew up in. It's a big ass house. And like, you know, so we always had a lot of guests and family and like my, my dad's friends and stuff. So like just being surrounded by that warmth and love, like all the time, you know, I should be writing like family happy books. books. You know, like, I don't know. I just, there was always something like that. You had a a very healthy and wholesome upbringing, it sounds like. So, um, what went wrong? No, (laughs) just out of curiosity, uh, you don't have to give me an exact date, but is your, is your birthday around one of the major holidays? No, my birthday is March, early March. Okay. And it it just wasn't, uh, you know, my, my birthdays were always great. My, nine times out of ten, my dad and I would go down to spring training where we were we're big Yankee fans or were, you know, he's not here anymore, but like Yankees. So we would go down to Tampa and uh, it was always coincided with my birthday. We'd go down there for like a month. He would take me out of school for a month mm-hmm. and I would go down and enjoy spring training with him. And yeah. it was it was awesome. It was great. So like always my birthday was in the sun, enjoying like the pool at our house in Florida, watching the Yankees. You know, and at the time, like we're talking like the 96, 98, 99, 2000 Yankees. So it was like the hella team, you know? Yeah. I used to be way into way into baseball specifically. And, uh, but I honestly haven't watched a game since my dad passed away. It's a little too difficult for me. Mm. As someone who, uh, lived in Milwaukee in the early eighties, I can kind of relate to some of that. I didn't get as far into baseball as I did football. There, were, there was also the Packers in that area, mm-hmm. which of course didn't really do well until the nineties, but yeah, I mean, you get your home hometown team, although it's strange for me because I moved around so much that I almost didn't feel like I had a hometown team, but when I mm-hmm. lived in Milwaukee, obviously the, the Brewers did really well in the 82 season. And then also the Packers and the NFL have the Packers and the, the Bears have the oldest rivalry in in the NFL predates the NFL. And my father grew up, was born in Chicago, and we were living in Milwaukee at the time. And so it was just this, you know, you either take the same side that your parents take, or you decide to be, you know, uh, contrary and support the other team. And my dad was the Bears, and so I took the the Packers because he was telling me about this rivalry and I was like, well, I guess I'll take the other side. And also I think at that time was the Packers were doing so well. And I've always, I've always liked rooting for the underdog and they stayed the underdog for many years. <laughs> uh, again, far off topic. No, um, no, because it's, but that's like, it's not at all off topic. Cause it speaks to the whole like generational thing of fathers and sons, yes. you know? And so it's like, that's part of it. And my dad was um, like, it's weird, you know, like we're, we were Yankee family, right? Like, but mm. we never 
I don't remember growing up and being like, oh, fuck the Red Sox or anything like that. Like, we, <laughs> it was never like that. You know what it was? It was fuck the Mets. Like, 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 fuck the Mets first, fuck the Red Sox second. (laughs) I would, I would honestly, I would root for the Red Sox over the Mets every single day of the week. You know, because like I, I, and and it's all from my dad. It's all my dad's fault that I hate the Mets. Like I look at the Mets for the Yankees and anyone who's playing the Mets. Yeah, and it's just it's weird because it's like I look at you know I just I get like physically sick when I see like the Mets uniforms and like wow. When I think of like the old Shea Stadium, it was all gaudy and orange and like that ugly blue. It's just repugnant. Like I just, <laughs> it's like the Mets are just such a joke organization to me. And I just, uh, I'm I like, say, really... if you don't like the Mets, I've got some good news for you. What's that? I don't know. Aren't they not doing good still? Yeah. I was going to say, if you don't like the Mets, I've got some good news for you. Their fans are ridiculous. Every year is, oh, you got to believe. And it's like, no, fuck you. You're a joke. Like, it's not, <laughs> I just get so annoyed. <laughs> All the Mets fans and everybody in Kansas hate uh, me now. Right, like <laughs> right. to all our Mets fans out there listening, I, I do apologize for the inconvenience, but I also <laughs> the Mets talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had anybody say that about a f- fan base before? <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of other episodes where anybody has said anything like incendiary about an entire sports team's fan base. Not in those terms, but what I am picking up, at least starting to. It, mm-hmm. it, Aside from this, there's a couple other things that you've said that going back to the counseling and therapy stuff, uh, mm-hmm. we would refer to as black and white thinking, mm-hmm. which is very um, absolute, all or nothing, 100% or zero, n- you know, no shades of gray. Mm-hmm. And so that has come up before, but not particularly about, you know, any particular sports team, I don't think. But um, And it's weird, too, because like I'm, I'm very open to, you know, genre of horror and like I'm very I, you know like it's the only thing that I really am, am truly black and white about is the Mets and the Yankees <laughs> and it's like I, you know I don't care about football like I, I football to me is gambling and I used to I used to bet on sports a lot back in the day thank God I don't the last mm-hmm. time I did was uh, I I thought I believed in my heart of hearts that Marcos Maidana was actually going to knock out Floyd Mayweather in their second fight and I remember putting like I think I put like a grand on my Donna to win. And then he didn't. And I was I so fucking bad, mad about it. And <laughs> I stopped gambling after that. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. A, I learned my a, lesson. It's a good bookend. What's that? Um, not a good bookend. Is that what you said? No. Yeah. To, to, yeah. To my, uh, gambling. Yeah. Um, let's move into teen years. What were some of the, uh, better stories or movies or books that you, uh, were introduced to in your teen years? Uh, my teen years, I think really is when I, I think I was like 12 or 13 when I read American psycho. Um, ah, yeah, nice. yeah. I read American psycho very early because I knew that there was a movie coming and I wanted to see this. Um, Ooh, so I I, the same thing with Jurassic park. Oh, oh really? Oh, wait, no, no. I watched Jurassic Park, then read the book. I had the same thing with Ender's Game when it was coming out. And, oh, um, nice. I always watch the movie before reading the book. It's The book is always better. Right. Yeah. yeah. But still, neither the, like, as far as material goes, American Psycho is a little different than either of those. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Yeah. I've, I've heard things that, I mean, the movie's great, but the book is even more cerebral. And right. yeah. The Broadway show is the best version the of that story. <laughs> I've seen it twice. I got to see it opening night because I interviewed the producer of it uh, when I was a reporter. Okay. And then I got to see it again 
uh, and they had changed some things. And in my mind, that's the that's the ultimate version. Like I love the book, hmm. of course, but like if you're gonna if you're gonna translate it into something else, the Broadway show, I think why does is a that better the ultimate job. version? Because it gets Patrick Bateman, I think, better than uh, you. The, there's nobody that's going to watch the Broadway show and interpret Patrick Bateman as aspirational the way that they interpret the Christian Bale version. Because like, and I've talked about this before uh, with, you know, other authors and friends and stuff. And I'm like, if you come out of that movie thinking Patrick Bateman's cool, you're a fucking idiot. Because like, you just don't get it. Like, he's a dork. Everybody thinks he's a dork. To to think of him as like, oh, he's so cool. He works out. He's so hot. Like, just misses the point. And the Broadway show does a really good job of like hammering that home that if you if that's what you think, then you do not get this book or a story or whatever. Whereas I don't think the movie, and I love the movie, I don't think the movie nails that home as well as it could, maybe, if I have one complaint about the American Psycho movie. It doesn't. How but do you think the, the Broadway show did that better? Performance-wise, Benjamin Walker as Patrick Bateman definitely leans a little bit more into the, like, being annoyed by things and he plays his disdain to more comedic lengths to the point where you pity him a little bit more and you feel like oh you're you really are out of the loop with this aren't you Hmm. so okay american psycho and teenagers what else oh yeah um (laughs) sorry i apologize i read um i think that was the first time i read rosemary's baby would have been when i was a teenager I also discovered Lovecraft when I was a teenager. I know that there's like a big gaping hole in my horror author references here, but I've literally only read two Stephen King books. And that's that's not because I'm like a cool edgelord, like anti Stephen <laughs> King guy. Like I, I love just Stephen very King. long books. Well, it's not even just that. It's just like there's so much other material that like I'm a little more drawn to maybe mm-hmm. like I read yeah. thinner and I loved it. And I read on writing and I loved it. So it's not like, and I watch everything. I haven't watched the new, the, the, the second new it movie. Cause I hated the first one, but I do love like Stephen King. I've met Stephen King. He was very sweet and cute. Um, but like, I haven't, you know, I just haven't read a lot of his stuff, but I've read a lot of, um, at the time when I was a teenager, like I said, Lovecraft. And I was like, wow, this stuff is crazy. <laughs> Like as a kid, I remember thinking like this shit is nuts, but mm-hmm. it was still really cool. And I think like that fear of the dark really kind of set in me in reading Lovecraft that maybe was not always there as a kid. I guess as kids were all afraid of the dark, but like in reading Lovecraft as a teenager, it sunk in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I gotta wonder, reading Lovecraft at a, at a young age, and it sounds like you did grow up in the uh, New England area. I saw like a, a meme or something recently, which was like you know uh, the the town of. Uh, what is it, Innsmouth? Mm-hmm. One of the more uh, regularly used towns in a lot of Lovecraft's stories is around the uh, the New England, Massachusetts area. So, mm-hmm. in reading these books and growing up in that area, did you picture all the dialogue in your in your head in like a, a Massachusetts accent? Yeah, for sure. And the, you know, the, <laughs> like the fact that and and you know, like I live as wicked evil creatures coming out of the sea, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like I, I I grew up not far from the water here on Long Island. Uh, like I said, my mom still lives in that house or whatever, but like you know, like I could walk five minutes south from my parents' house and I'd be staring at the ocean. 
you know? And it's like, it's just so terrifying and so large. And like the idea of a sleeping nightmare lurking at the bottom of that vast expanse of water that if it wakes up, the ball game is over. Mm-hmm. That yeah. scared the shit out of me uh, as a teenager. Okay. So sharks, um, Rosemary's baby Lovecraft. Did you participate in Halloween as a teen? <laughs> Thank you. The the only way that I participated in Halloween as a teenager was doing the haunted houses on our lawn, helping to plan and build. And then uh, I was actually able to recruit a lot of my friends to be in the haunted houses, Cool, which was a lot of fun. A friend of mine did a, a particularly wonderful chef's kiss, uh, Tim Curry Pennywise. Nice. nice. So he was in the mix and uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. We all had a good time. My mom would order pizza and she would make a ton of food and you know, it was just awesome. It was just like such a fun family spooky atmosphere. It was really, really great. Did you have a least favorite costume? Oh, a least favorite costume. Um, One year I got mild hypothermia playing Dr. Frankenstein in the haunted house because I had uh, my mom's homemade fake blood all over me. And it crystallized on my skin. So I took a really hot shower. And as I was peeling it off, it was taking off the top layer of skin with it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that. That will put that up there in the top least favorite costumes. Yeah. yeah, Bodily harm. Very cold. Jesus. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Any scary dreams as a teen? Uh, Dreams as a teen? really nothing really jumps out i guess you know the 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 dream of like my my friends not making it that was something that i had as a little kid that persisted into my teen years but nothing that really jumps out um in particular that was particularly terrifying That's not okay. until 9 11 happened okay i did make a note of that uh so we already got that time in your teens where you felt exceptionally calm or safe or bliss the entire time until 9 11 mm-hmm. There was nothing, you know, like everybody's like, you know, the normal angsty bullshit of being a teenager. But like I was surrounded by friends, surrounded by family. You know, I played sports. I was on the football team until senior year. And then I quit to spend time with my friends, played basketball too. like, you know, my friends and I were weird in that. Like we did the arts, like we all did the play, but we also played sports. Like it wasn't there was no like division between us and the art kids, because especially senior year after 9-11 like we just didn't believe in that shit anymore because like it was more about all of us together and there wasn't any kind of like oh you're a nerd goth kid you're this you're that like that shit went away because like we we all really like believed in the togetherness of each other after that i know that sounds kind of cheesy but it's true no no it makes perfect sense you know you have a mass horrific event like that and it brings everyone together there's there's a word for that where bringing people together it's very camaraderie mm. yeah that is that is not a word is now i made it yeah. <laughs> hmm all right well i guess let's jump into adult years then so you've so far mentioned um some of the theater stuff what about uh media other media besides the theater stuff uh definitely exploring foreign uh horror that was a big thing for me like especially when i got into college I really studied uh, Asian horror. That was a really big thing because around the time, like the ring was coming out. So of course, like I sought out the original, however I could, I I think I probably just rented it or whatever. We had like a cool, we had a cool video store, 112 video that had 
foreign movies. And if they didn't have the actual version, they would have a bootleg version that they kept on the <laughs> shelf. But as soon as a real version came out, they would replace the bootleg with the real one. That's cool. But like they really catered to their their clients, you know? So like yeah. I was able to get a lot of cool movies that way. I saw um, it, this would have been like 2003 or four. I was able to see Cairo Pulse, uh, the Japanese version of, of Pulse or the original, mm-hmm. which remains arguably one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen in my life. Scared the shit out of me. Still scares the shit out of me. So yeah, d- discovering foreign horror was a bigger part. High tension. If you guys remember when the French extremity, mm. hot tension. Yes. Yeah, hot yeah, tension. Yeah, French switchblade romance. Yeah, that's right. That was the other title for it. Yeah, you seen um, inside or I think Martyrs is more French Canadian, but that that can also be in French extremity. I guess I would count that as French extremity for sure. But I, I loved uh, high tension, and that kind of got me started on discovering more European horror. And then also, like, that's around the time, because even though I had read Rosemary's Baby, and of course, I'd seen The Exorcist and stuff, I started retreating backwards also in time. Because what was out at the time, if you remember, was like that new metal horror bullshit. That, like, mm-hmm. super quick cut, not particularly thrilling or interesting to look at. Horror, everything had that, like, yellow-green filter on it. It just wasn't engaging to me like the ring was kind of the last at that time american horror movie that really engaged me and then going backwards and seeing stuff like audrey rose and seeing the wicker man and you know discovering don't look now finding don't look now was very foundational for me so much so that like my my new novel the vile thing we created is very much influenced by the sensuality and, and closeness of don't look now I just I fell in love with that movie the second I watched it. Were you aware of the twist before seeing it? No, I was not aware of the Good. twist before Good. seeing I it. Just, uh, unfortunately, you know, fucking re- reviews and YouTube and everything. I already knew of the twist before uh, before watching it. Yeah, yeah, that is amazing. I want to ask you about Cairo Ky- Pulse. You said that was one of the most terrifying movies, and I wanted to know why. Because, like, you know, two thousand one was, uh, you know, cell phones weren't as like widespread as they were. And also like mm-hmm. the internet was really starting to mutate around that time. And I think the idea yep. of modern technology possibly opening a door to the uh, other side was particularly a scary idea. And honestly, like it's an idea that we play with all the time in horror and, but to see it done in kind of a lo-fi way in pulse it makes it more Cairo. realistic and more believable in the lo-fi. Kind 100%. Of 100%. And it's like the idea of um, once you open that door, like there's no closing it. Like you could try, but that movie really goes a long way to be like, no, it's the world is just different now. Different in what way? Different in that like mankind is now the, the endangered species because there's just mm-hmm. no stopping it. There's no saying it. It yeah. also deals with like, the idea of us disconnecting from each other, which clearly has happened. Like I'm a teacher. I see these kids, like they sit together at lunch, they play with their phones instead of talking to each other. Like we've lost this battle. Like the battle is over and it's really sad, you know? And so like, it's okay though. AI will make a really nice picture of all of our downfall and doom. Once it's uh, once we're all, dead. <laughs> you know, and it's and, like, I wish it wasn't this. I wish it wasn't this way, but you know, like my colleagues and stuff are like, oh, they're always playing with their phones, they're always playing with their phones. And I'm like, guys, like the battle's over. Like, we are never going to be more interesting than a guy on TikTok. It's never going to happen. So, 
just adapt or die. And uh, Cairo called it, man. 22 years ago, Cairo called it. Or uh, Pulse, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What did you like about Don't Look Now? You mentioned sensuality and closeness. Yeah, I don't think I had ever seen a couple portrayed like that in a movie before. Like a couple that is still so very much in love with each other physically while also still dealing with something so traumatic that happened to them, like the, you know, losing their daughter. And also I think Daphne du Maurier kind of rules because the idea of like, Hey, I'm going to write a thriller or a horror piece, but I'm going to think of the location first, like setting that in Venice. I've never wanted to go to a city in Italy more than I wanted to go to Venice after watching. Don't look now. Why did Venice, why was that such an important thing in the movie? It just, it feels so alien. The fact that this couple, uh, you know, Julie Christie is British, Donald Sutherland is American. I think they're living in England when their daughter dies, I'm pretty sure. Then they go to Venice, which is the complete opposite of like their manor home in the UK. It's almost like another planet. Like Venice just feels so foreign and so alien. The canals, it's just such a strange looking place. Even now, like I, I just watched a travel show where they went to Venice, and it is so strange. It's like, oh, yeah, our first floor floods every day. Well, that's no, bad. Yeah, no, it's just, just a thing that happens. Yeah, and it's just, it's I mean, so strange. Like, give, the, it, just, give it 50 years and go back to Florida. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> that's true. Long Island, too, man. We lose, like, six feet of coastline every year. Oh, yeah, that's true. Jesus. Yeah. Anything with island in the name, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I understand that Venice being very alien from their native home. However, uh, I don't know that that really speaks to the sensuality or closeness that you referenced. Yeah. So I think because of you know what had happened to their daughter, they're struggling to stay together. Not that they're struggling to stay together, but they're str- they're struggling to connect again. Mm-hmm. And I think the way they they often do that is through physical love and. Again, I never saw sensuality like that in a movie before. And I know that there's like a lot of rumors that Nick Rogue or whatever actually filmed Donald Sutherland and and her having sex. That's bullshit. But like seeing something like that in a horror movie outside of the exploitative nonsense of like a Friday the 13th or whatever, I never really saw that before. And the way that it's shown just feels so real and it feels honest. There's like an honesty between... Sutherland and Christie in those scenes that's so much more interesting than the actual like lovemaking aspect of it like they feel like a real couple having sex and they feel like a real couple desperately trying to cling to each other Mm -hmm. and I never really saw that before in a movie and I don't think I've really seen a scene like that since no you're right it's mostly like uh, it's either troubled family home where the couple is on a you know a split or a break or, or they are divorced or separated or if they are together and have no marital problems it just doesn't seem genuine it's fake like yeah nuclear family yeah and it's they're also the, the sensuality goes to their the moments when they're not obviously you know physically engaging with each other like there's there's a real closeness between them that and it's a true character study of two parents really dealing with something horrifying while something truly scary is happening in the city around them that you know john the main character thinks is tied to their daughter and the mom for sure thinks is tied to their daughter and it's just a very strange story and very the story itself feels very foreign and alien and the location feels very foreign and alien but the sensuality and closeness of this couple 
feels very real and honest and true to me. Uh, any scary dreams as an adult? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've had some really darker dreams after my dad passed away. I was very like I was I was at my end after my dad passed away. I, I thought I was going to kill myself. That's when I sought thera- therapeutic help. Good. And it, that was, you know, those dark thoughts definitely creeped into my my dreams and stuff as well. And every once in a while, I'll have a really dark dream and uh, I wake up from it. And the worst is how it sometimes lingers. But also, I don't really dream on the weekends. I dream during the week. So having or I'm, I'm sure I dream during the weekend. I just don't remember it. But I dream during the week and I wake up and I know that I have to go to work and I have to deal with the students. And if I have a nightmare during the week and I have to go deal with the students, I'm usually in a bad mood in the morning. So like, and my students kind of know me to be kind of a grumpy prick. <laughs> yeah, like they're because you had that relationship established. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're used to it. They know that I'm not there to like kiss their ass and tell them that they're great. But like, they are also, they know their bounds. Like they're not habitual line steppers or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like they know not to fuck around in my class and, you know, they're pretty good about that. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really the only time. So like I've had, you know, dreams where I've seen my dad and those are always really upsetting. Mm-hmm. I'm like getting a little upset thinking about it. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. If it's not too much to ask, I'm curious I mean, obviously, suicide is a very um, extreme response mm-hmm. to anything, but I'm wondering why was that the response to losing your father, if that makes sense. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because the pain hasn't gone away, mm-hmm. and the pain's not, I don't think, will ever go away. And um, I just didn't feel like I had anything left in me. I just, I, I didn't, at the time, certainly. I didn't feel like I had anything left in the tank. You know, thankfully I I my wife was there and still is there for me, my friends, my therapist. And my therapist and I have kind of reconceptualized my hurt in the sense that like cuz I nothing bothers me more than I think when people say like oh it gets better, it gets better, it gets better. Cuz it doesn't get better. Like I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, "Well, my dad's dead. Haha, <laughs> let's go on with life." Like it never gets better. It just gets different. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the lesson that my therapist and I have kind of set forth. It doesn't get better. It gets different. And I wish I, I wish I was, I wish I was a a less internal person that could just be like, well, I feel better now. It's been four years. Like I, but I'm not, and I'm never going to be, and it's never going to be okay, but it's just going to be different. And I'm always like, I have, my under when my dad was alive, my underlying base level was happy silly. Like that was my base level. Now my base level is sad. And all the other shit is on top of it. And I do a good like I think I do a pretty good job of like not letting that out as much or I certainly try to. And um I just I don't like when I'm around other authors in the writing community, right? I don't want to let them know that like inside it's not always great. Like I just want them to have a good time when they're around me. So like I put on the mask a lot and the mask is on at work 
and the mask is on when I'm with friends and outside family. And the mask comes off when I'm with my closest best friends mm. and with my wife. And like, I'm not saying that to sound cool. Like, Oh, I wear a mask. Cause we all fucking do it. But like, yeah. it's just a little more pronounced. Like it feels like I put it on more than I did when I was younger. Two things I want to say to that. Mm-hmm. One is that something that I learned through my counseling and therapy and stuff and, and 12 step stuff is that mm-hmm. the phrase of the tool is being gentle with yourself. And mm-hmm. this, the summary of that is that there are things that I regret having done in my past, but the fact that I'm alive today to regret them is proof that I did what I needed to do to survive the moment. Yep. I love that. The other thing that I wanted to share, I, I kind of chuckled when you said it doesn't get better. It gets different. Mm-hmm. Because I had gone to a weekend retreat with the group that I was a part of, and I've never seen this shirt. I've thought about having it made for myself because I loved it, but Mm -hmm. uh, the leader of quote unquote unofficial leader who, you know, mother hen of the group had a shirt that she wore during one of these retreats that, that had five lines on it. It said, it gets better. Then it gets worse. Then it gets different. Then it gets real different. And then it gets better again. Yeah. And that really hit me because. That it really does describe it. Yeah. It's true. The different becomes the new normal. Eventually, I guess. And. I think you do start to learn eventually, which is why it's, you know, five steps down. Eventually you start to learn to find the good in in that again. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it takes time. It it could take five years. It could take 10 years, but as long as you're evolving and you're trying to evolve and do better to yourself first. And that translates to better for everybody around you as well. Yeah. Yeah, it does take time too. Like I, I always like to think of the whole phrase of um, "time heals all wounds," uh, rather interpreted as it doesn't heal all wounds; it puts distance in between the wounds mm-hmm. and wow. the now. So, like you said earlier, things are different. Well, it's not. I mean, there's also no. And it can get better. To be honest, there is no guarantee. I mean, it's there are people who stay stuck. Progress is not a straight line. And and sometimes just keeping your head above water is success enough success as it is. It is a challenge. That's too right. Like, you know, it's, you don't have to go into the idea of like, when is this going to get better? If you go in with that attitude, it's never going, it's not, I'm not saying it's never going to, but it's going to be a lot harder than if you understand that everything's a process. True. Yep. And that is part of it that the counseling and and the therapy and the 12 step stuff can really help with realigning the perspective to, because part of the reason that a lot of people who are in addiction, for example, relapse is because they have the wrong perspective. They think, okay, I'm going to do the 12 steps. I'm going to go from one to 12 and then I'm done and I'm, I can leave this and I'm never going to mm-hmm. relapse and I'm never going to have any more problems. And, and that's not reality. And so when yeah. they do that and then it doesn't work and then they say, well, I guess I'm never going to do that again. Cause clearly it didn't work, but that your perspective never got aligned to where it needed to be. Like that would, 
there were problems that you had that you never addressed. Like, why do you think that that's the fault of the program? You know what I mean? Right. It's like you say, it's a process and it's a process, just learning the process. I mean, there's, that's, it's a whole topic. You, you do a whole podcast on that in itself, in and of itself. I mean, a friend of mine um, has been sober. I think it's her two year anniversary, not super long ago. And I'm so inspired and so impressed by her and so proud and happy that she's been able to do it, you know? And it's like, it's only been, you know, two years, but you know what? That's fucking two years. Like that's, that's incredible to me. And I think that's like worth celebrating. So like, I'm a big fan of 12 step program and rehabilitation and stuff like that. Like, cause it's, it's all of it is so important. And for people to just say like, Oh, well it didn't work. Well, like you said, you know, like it's okay to try again. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just or means that, that you're just not there. You yet. learned as a failure. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan it, of that. It is almost amusing for people who have been in, in recovery for long enough to watch the people come in and wash out so quickly. Like, mm. I mean, it's, it's sad. It's tragic knowing that those people may never get the help that they need and, and will yeah. have negative effects on, on their life and the lives around them. But at the same time, it's almost a dark sense of humor part of it that you kind of have to chuckle to, to realize just how, you know, the blinders that they have on are, have restricted their own view so badly that they're, you know, willing to write off things so quickly as they do. It's, it's, it's a tragic situation, but like, you know, there's only so much you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, going back to your friend who's celebrating, yeah, good. It's, it's, it is good when it works. And if it's not working, like you said, there's no reason you can't come back and try again. You know, yeah. it's a process. Yeah. There's it's, it's a whole topic. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, let's hit some of the um, the wrap-up questions. So there's still probably a, mm, roughly 10 questions or so, but these now will talk about your entire life as, as a whole. The first two questions, which you probably heard me say before, I'll give you at the same time because it could be the same question for two for the two or the different answers. One being what's your favorite movie and which one have you watched more times than any other? I think you said favorite movie was Forbidden Planet. Yeah, Forbidden Planet's my all-time favorite movie. Is it also the one that you've seen more times than any other? No. Um, I think that the movie that I've seen more times than any other, it's probably The Dark Knight. I saw that movie like 12 times in the theater, Hmm. and I've probably watched it about 70 or 80 or 100 times. Why? You a bit of a Bob Kane fan there. (laughs) Yeah, I am a bit of a Bob Kane fan. I'm more of a Bill Finger guy myself, but... Okay. Yeah, I just I uh, that's a movie for me and my dad. Also, um, ah. I saw it like eight out of the 12 times with him. And uh, I love Batman. I've always, uh, you know, I'm a DC Comics guy. But like at the time, there was no better uh, Batman movie made. I love Batman 89 and everyone likes Michael Keaton. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And I love Michael Keaton. I saw that in theaters too. five year old Rob was thrilled and terrified when we were flying around on the inside of the bat symbol at the beginning of that movie. Um, <clears throat> I have such vivid memories of that, but I love um, the dark Knight. It just makes me happy. It's almost like a comfort food movie. Um, you know, you can't top Heath Ledger as the Joker. He's wonderful. It's just great. It's, it's, it's the first time they ever really showed Batman being a detective. Of course. That too. Yeah. The Batman. 
is actually probably my favorite Batman movie because he is all detective in that. Yeah. And I love that. I, I rented a theater for the Batman. I will be renting a theater for the Batman two. And it's rented a theater. Like you, you rented the entire theater. I rented the entire say, theater. Like- yeah. Because I had always wanted to rent a theater for me and my dad to see a Batman movie. And I almost did it for Batman versus Superman and the theater broke contract. So I wasn't able to do it. And then he passed away and then the Batman was coming out. So I rented a theater. It was just going to be me by myself in the theater watching the movie. Then I opened it up to my wife. I allowed her to come. She was not allowed to talk during the movie. She knows that. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one rule I have when it comes to superhero shit. It's like, don't talk during the movie. And then I opened it up to my father-in-law, my uncle, and my mother. They all came and it was wonderful. Uh, and I will be doing it again for the Batman too. So that's the only way that I can enjoy a movie anymore in theaters is if it's pretty much empty. Because I... I think the audience ruins a lot of the movie going experience for me. Hmm. Do you see any kind of common threads about what kind of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical, body horror? Yeah, I, I definitely love uh, full horror and I love body horror and cult horror. I love forces that are beyond our control yeah. coming up against those. You know, the, the empty man is a great example of sort of that cosmic cultish horror. So I guess it goes back to Lovecraft, but I definitely like, you know, those kinds of things. And there's there's elements of those in a lot of my writing. We haven't talked about yeah. folk folk horror. What do you like about that? No, folk horror is exciting because it deals with something that's ancient, something that was here before us, something that we came to as a new creature on this planet, something that's so beyond us that we try to rationalize it and can never understand it. That's what I think is so exciting about folk horror. So basically yeah. Lovecraft, but not uh, interdimensional, maybe? Sure. Like, you know, something as as a a spirit of the land, a spirit of the earth. Mm -hmm. I just, I wrote a novel for Weird House Press that deals with a spirit of a particular region of upstate New York. And it's just a very Mm -hmm. localized thing. Has to deal with the agrarian nature up there. And something upsets the apple cart. And then the people of this community have to deal with it. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's fine. Hmm. That's interesting in that. So this is normally the point where we would talk about, you know, the summary of the things that have come up multiple times on the call. And Mm -hmm. I like the uh, analogy of, you know, college having a major and a minor. Um, it sounds like the major topic that's come up for you multiple times is personal connections and social connections. Every time that you talked about calmness, it had to do with your family. When you talked about 9-11, wiping out the barriers between the social groups. I can't remember what movie it was that uh, mankind was endangered and disconnected because of Pulse. The Pulse, thank you. Yeah, that was Pulse. You know, don't look now. It's all about the interpersonal relationship there, trying, struggling to connect and, and have this honesty. And obviously, you know, loss of your father and that personal connection and that as well. And then, so the minor, if that's the major, then the minor, I had commented earlier about how a lot of the verbiage you were using was very black and white, loving this, hating that. <laughs> Even going all the way back to your sister being too cool for you know scream uh you know for the 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 wearing the 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 costume to scream like 
almost scenesterism, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Tribalism. Mm, no, not tribal. No? Well, maybe kind of, but you know, being judgmental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a black and white kind of thing, and so I'm thinking about those things and thinking about your interest in Lovecraft and folk horror. I'm trying to see if there's some sort of connection between those things. Well, Lovecraft is very us and them. Mm-hmm. You know, the fear True. of the other, right? So, like, you could probably make the connection there. That acts, That's funny because that touches on both the black and white and the personal connection. Yeah. <laughs> it's us and um, them. Yeah. You know, the, the people of Innsmouth, for example, making a deal with, you know, a deity for riches. And, of course, that having the physical effect of changing them into fucking fish people. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of that um, in Lovecraft stuff. But also, like, Lovecraft was deathly afraid of the world in general, right? So... Whereas, like, my outlook is, like, I'm not afraid of the world. I'm afraid of some elements of the world. Extremism. You know, people who take, like, religion and twist it to their own viewpoints, I think, is terrifying. But, like, I try to catch a through line through a lot of the things, like, a lot of my fears. And the same ones do pop up a lot. In The Vile Thing We Created, it's about the uncertainty of parenthood. My wife and I are child-free. We're not going to have any kids. We might adopt when we're older, but I am very afraid of it. She'd be a great mom. I don't think I'd be a good dad because I'm very selfish and I'm afraid of, God forbid, what would happen if we did bring a kid into the world and how bad I would be at it, knowing that my dad was like the best Mm. to me. You know, everybody's dad is the best, I guess, unless you don't feel that way. But like, you know, to me, he was perfect and I wouldn't change anything. I could never measure up to that. So I wouldn't even want to try. That's also black and white. Yeah. 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 I think you touched on this when you used the word through line, when you were talking about uh, being afraid of extremism. My first thought was that going back to the black and white, is that because you could see it in your own potential? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't want to, you know. I don't want to feel so strongly about something that I'm not open to other ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ever. I, and I see it happen with a lot of people that I know. One of my closest friends the other day just told me that he's, he's his politically he's shifting. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, why, why is that? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. The older I get and the more things are changing, I just don't like it. And I was like, but that's the idea. I was like, that's the very concept of who we are as people. It's like, we have to be changing and evolving. And he was just like, no. And that scares me. Mm. Like that, that change of thinking is what freaks me out. And that's, I don't ever want to like, I don't ever want that to happen to me other than with the Mets. (laughs) (laughs) Except that one thing. (laughs) All right. Yeah. The next logical question then is, do you have any idea why these things are important to you? Because they scare me. Because they scare me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they're important. I, I'm usually, uh, you wouldn't get it from this interview, but like, I'm a, really like, I'm a pretty happy guy. <laughs> Even though I talked about killing myself. Mm. But like, I'm a pretty happy guy. And I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky person. And I feel very lucky to have the people that I have in my life. And I treasure that. But there are things that I'm afraid of, and I think about them a lot. 
let me pause you for a minute because yeah. I think you said something that's interesting, but could mm-hmm. also be might be even more important if we flip it. You said they're important to you because they scare you. Flipping that around, maybe it's they scare you because they're important. That's a good point. It's mm. a really good point. Mm. I just I don't like where things are going. I don't think any of us do. Mm. Yeah. But like we're not doing anything about it. Like we're not doing enough about it. And like every time I see someone say something that's like anti-trans or anything like that, I think of my students because I've had a lot of students like discover who they are. And that's fucking awesome. You know, I think about like the world that my niece and nephew were going to inherit. And I just get angry and I like I'm guilty of this, too, because what the fuck am I doing about it? You know, and that's the kind of shit that scares me. So while some, while you were talking, some of the things that I wrote down, change is important. Um, Change is unstoppable, which maybe ties in with Lovecraft Mm -hmm. um, and hope. And how can we do this better? Yeah. Yeah. How do we do things better for everybody? How do we do things better for everybody? We want. Hey, now that's dangerously close to altruism, sir, and that's just not an option. Right. Anymore, Socialism. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, well. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Third rail. <laughs> yeah, we don't want. We don't want thing that's perfect on paper, but <laughs> has never yeah. worked in practice. To uh, well, yeah. nothing. Nothing in life has ever worked in practice. <laughs> that's very true. All. What's What's this phrase? Uh, no plan survives first impact with the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Something I just heard that. I just heard that in a documentary last night. Mm -hmm. Someone said that. I just heard that just now. Yeah. So, having said these things, why horror? I think horror is kind of the only place that you can have these kinds of conversations while also being entertaining. You know, you can have uh, a book about like a family, you know, a family drama or whatever, but add a ghost to it and you get something as good as the haunting of hell house on, on Netflix, you know, like it's one thing to tell a dramatic story or it's one thing to tell a story with a social element to it, but doing that in a genre way is always more interesting. Like Dawn of the dead is not interesting because it's a zombie movie. Dawn of the dead is interesting because it's about consumerism. Like, and that's not, that's not like an original thing. That's literally what the movie's about. Like, yeah. you know, so I'm not saying anything like too crazy, but like, that's why that movie works. Like I was on a panel with Mary San Giovanni and she made a really interesting point about like, where is cosmic horror in real life and cosmic horror in real life are these gigantic corporations that we deal with. Okay. Uh, Cause she just yeah. wrote, she just wrote a fabulous alien novel. Waitani Corp. Yeah. Yutani. Yeah. Wayland Yutani. Wayland Yutani. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. But like they're the cosmic horror in Alien. Right. Because they don't their their methods are not meant for us to know. Well, because they're disconnected too. you know, it's like that, that, that overseeing almost godlike force that you just know is there pulling the strings behind everything. But you have no way of interacting with them or changing. And it's so it's so much more than the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It's the thumb doesn't know what the pinky's doing. Doesn't know. Like, it's so much. more. It's the thumb that doesn't know that the pinky exists. Exactly. And that's that's the kind of scary thing to me. And we can talk about that. We can talk about how scary a big evil corporation can be. 
in the case of like Alien, in the case of consumerism with Dawn of the Dead, the breakdown of communication in the thing mm-hmm. that and 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 really to me what Halloween is about the danger of not keeping your fucking eyes open. Mm-hmm. That's what Halloween is about, and that's why Halloween okay. is so scary because you got to pay attention because if all of those young ladies and all of those teens paid attention, they would have seen the guy in the white mask and they would have known to run the other way. See, and here I thought it was about crazy microchips in the shape of shamrocks that you put inside masks and they make kids' heads explode into guts and worms and it's all about stone. Well, that too. That too. <laughs> <laughs> that three. Ah, hey, Zingo. Ah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is while you guys were talking about Thumb doesn't know what the pinky is doing and Halloween and the communication, I was asking myself about the thing that we had previously talked about, about, you know, having these conversations and being entertaining. And I, I had written my note myself, some notes, war movies aren't meant to be entertaining. So they're, they're cautionary, but not entertaining. Right. And then I said, can sci-fi dig to the same depths without it devolving or delving into horror? And I was thinking about why or why not. And I think the answer there is that, the horror part of it is what you don't know, which mm. is exactly what you're talking about. The thumb, not knowing what the pinky is doing and the miscommunication in Halloween. It's because of what's unknown. Yep. It's hard. It's hard, it's to, hard talk to talk about all the problems that can come from the unknown without it being horrific. Right. True. Yeah. Cause it's unsettling by default. It's um, I, when I first started teaching, I, I was, I had a really great uh, English department around me and we set a plan for the year and the basic through line for everything we were going to teach was man's emergence from the cave seeing the sun and seeing the world as it existed and retreating back into the cave so everything we did was all about that and every single thing that we taught that year had that element of like fear of the other fear of the world fear of change and so like it was almost a full year of not horror necessarily but things that contained elements discussed in horror all the time and it was probably the most successful year of english education i've ever provided was having that strong message basically at the heart of everything that we did and that was really exciting and um the kids really got it and the kids were into it but I like it just it. goes back to the idea of like just interpreting and understanding and not even so much like knowing where things are going, but trying to anticipate where things are going. Well, I like that in that, you know, for me, life is, I'm going to say this. I, I've always had this sort of view that to put it into political terms, you know, the left and the right Mm-hmm. Well, actually say it a different way. If you, if you're picturing a mountain that has a flock of sheep on it or goat or whatever, and a boulder dislodges from above the mountain, higher up on the mountain comes barreling down. There's a couple different options. You know, the, the sheep can scatter to the left, to the right, up or down, or they can stay still. And we humans find ourselves arguing a lot about what is right whether or not we should pick one of those directions. Mm-hmm. But from life's perspective, the answer 
is to take all directions at once because you don't know which one is going to allow life as a whole to survive. Right. And so the necessary thing is like, you're talking about men emerging from a cave, seeing the world and then retreating into the cave. And I'm thinking, okay, well, a portion of the people will return to the cave, Mm -hmm. but what's important, I think in my opinion, my own opinion here is that for life as a whole to continue, some need to go back into the cave, but also some need not to, because we don't know which one's the safer option. Yeah. Yep. Also for comparison, I mean, to know the existence of the cave, there needs to be not cave. So, I mean, if everything is perception, you have to have those that are in the cave and those that are in the cave. Yeah. Very true. You know, we're getting all Kierkegaard with this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But like I say, you know, when you bring it back to the human aspect of it, you know, we find ourselves arguing about, well, what's right or what's better. Better is both. Yep. Options are what's better. Yes. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> I guess last question: Is there anything you've thought of that might be relevant that hasn't come up on the call, or that you did, you know, you thought about, but then we took a left turn? No, I think we've covered a lot of really interesting things, and I, I, I would look forward to listening to this if I wasn't the guest. I'm going to, of course, because <laughs> I am the guest. But if this was a conversation I heard with another author, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to buy that guy's book. Mm-hmm. I hope that's the, you know. And excellent result. spot to uh, give you something to pitch on the way out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, pick up my book, uh, The Vile Thing We Created. It is published by Hydra. And uh, I wrote it sort of after the pandemic started. And it deals with a lot okay. of my uh, anxieties uh, around children, but also the anxieties around the changing of social status and the change of uh, social hierarchy and stuff like that. And I just hope people enjoy it, you know, leave a review and all that stuff. But really, I just more importantly, hope that you like it. Um, and I just hope you give it a chance. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. go, out, go out and consume. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Good luck yeah. with the, the other show later. Thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, exactly. We'll get together offline. I, I'll have to talk to you about getting a bio and links and put together stuff and pictures for, you know, excerpt and stuff like that. But we can do that offline. Cool. Um, so again, thank you. And thank you to anybody else out there listening. Please do come visit us at horrormakesushappy.com. Uh, lots of stuff there to check out. But in the uh, summation, just tell a friend, I guess. Thanks. 